Welcome back to this new episode of the Behind the Business podcast with me, Danny Champion. This is my music industry podcast where I talk to a whole host of different people in and around the music business that I have met along my path, so to speak. This week's episode is with Brixton native Dan Vinci. Um, I met with Dan uh, in September, kind of mid to late September of last year, on a ridiculously hot day in Brixton. He invited me round to his home, his flat, which is very much appreciated. Um, we've known each other for a number of years through a few mutual mates um, in South London. I spent a number of years in London, in Balham and the surrounding areas, so uh, we had a lot of mutual acquaintances, and obviously he was in the music business as well. And we had an amazing chat about his career as a producer. Um, it's about an engineer and an engineering assistant in recording studios, and more about his work now as a producer. Dan is one of the most ridiculously positive people that I've ever met. And I can really see how he would be such an amazing person to vibe off of in a studio if you were a creative person. His his techniques um, on a professional level, but also just his aura and just the way he acts around you. You can't not be influenced by the way that he looks at life. He's an amazing person. We talked about his time at the Dairy Studios in Brixton. Uh, some of the more recent work that he's been doing over the past couple of years, including uh, the last two Big Nasty records uh, that he did last year, and his creative project, The Dandada, that you should check out, and that's available via Spotify and via all the various platforms that you would expect music to be available to. So anyway... Enough of me, like always, I've prattled on for far too long. Here is my chat with Dan Vinci. I wanted to talk about how all this started, because unlike a few of our mutual acquaintances... Um, you didn't go to university. No, sir. <laughs> so all of this is done um, on your own terms and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So I thought rather than me try and decipher, try and decide how yeah. you got to where you are, kind of fill me in a little bit on how this all started. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the most epic journey ever just to get to yeah. this point, but... Instead of doing the you know the normal engineering degree, actually all of my sort of academic experience is from art college, and uh, I started a film school in London, and I didn't have like that uncle who worked at the label. I didn't have that kind of like friend who got me in or like who didn't work at a studio and said, oh you know come work. Mine was actually a complete coincidence. Um, at the time I was um, drumming in a band and. I had just turned down a place at Leeds University. They offered me an unconditional, which my parents were so happy at the time, like, right, you don't even have to, you know, do anything, you've got this place, it's at Leeds University to do... When, when's this? This is what, This is when I was, yeah, about 18. <clears throat> so I was 18, and that was at the same point when they offered me the, uh, the unconditional at Leeds to do graphic design. I had this kind of uh, path where there was a few things going on. I had my band... I was uh, in the army cadets for a couple of years, so there was like going down that route, which is completely different again. There was the graphic design route, then there was the music and the drumming route. Mm-hmm. Um, they were sort of the main things going on. And then I happened to um, speak to the owner of a studio the same day that they fired someone, and everyone knows, like in the recording studio game, it is near impossible to like get into a good studio right. without waiting 
for a hell of a long time and being qualified. So the only thing that I had is that it was really close to where I lived in Brixton. Um, and the owner loved that fact that not only did we get on really well, but he was like, you know what, this guy lives pretty much next door. He can open and close for us. And, <laughs> and so I was fully aware that I had no credentials to my name or anything. And, and, and when I got to the studio, I saw how many people apply every single day, week, month. Like, I mean, it's just ridiculous. The pile is so overflowing. So I had a little meeting with them and I just just through the power of just getting on with people, actually I was offered, why don't you start here? And I literally worked from the very, very bottom, from sweeping leaves, making tea, you know, everything to, um, you know, become shadowing and then assisting engineering, engineering and then doing, you know, the top sessions there and then obviously producing, stuff like that. But having said all that, this was all sort of kind of like part-time because obviously, you know, when you start a studio, you know, no studios really pay, you know, when you start at the bo bottom, if they'll give you your lunches, you know. And then the band that I was in just at that time when I decided not to go to unis because the manager we had at the time said, Dan, you can't go, you can't go to Leeds. If you go to Leeds, the band's going to break up with just about saying that we had a small record label that was interested in doing a deal with us. Just all this was happening at the same time and then I was supposed to, in about two, three weeks' time, move all my stuff up into Headingley and Leeds and my parents were like, damn, what are you doing? You know I mean? You've got the unconditional. I just did a year in art college instead of that, actually, whilst I was doing the studio. So that way it was a compromise, especially to my parents, that they were like, you know, if you're not going to do Lisa, you need to do something academic, you know, what you, you know, what you're going to do in life sort of thing. And I was just so, like, I don't know, confident. I was just happy just to, you know, just get stuck in whatever it was. But So I almost had a life kind of up north in Leeds. And then I stayed down in London, did the art college thing whilst staying at the studio. And then the studio got more and more, I got more and more involved and more in sort of like that team and... I was pretty much always the youngest at the studio. Everyone had like these massive names behind them. Right. 30, 40 year olds, you know, whatever. And I looked at everyone like it was like this big family and they were always willing to show me stuff. But I was just like, wow, how do these massive desks work? Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? How it was. Um, so I was. What was the studio? The studio is the Dairy Studios. Okay. Yeah, just opposite Brixton Station. Um, it's a well kept kind of hidden secret in Brixton. Um, you wouldn't like find it just by walking. It's up behind these huge like kind of gates, and they've had everyone there from oh, Jermaine Jackson and Muse. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. I ended up working with most of the big artists, you know, at that studio mm -hmm. as well. Um, and so, anyway, that was just that roadblock in my life, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Then the studio started really getting on, and plus, I had another job working at a venue on the River Thames, so it was literally every day was just insane. Um, trying to balance, you know, making people tease, doing all this stuff, balance art college. Then I started film school for a, for a very. I thought, are there enough hours in your day? Yeah, exactly, exactly. All my friends, like, I didn't basically see anyone for about two, three years in my life, right? When everyone was going out and doing uni, and you know, they were sort getting smashed at freshers week or whatever I was sweating you know like sweeping floors and stuff and then going to I remember going to film school and going like, how long can I keep this up for and I really really loved um, directing everything about film like it tied in well with graphics because it was like presentation or everything and then what happened was that at the studio there was another someone else dropped out of the studio which is again was like super rare and I quickly just got into like an assistant engineer position and that is really, really difficult because most people, you know, you, when you finally make it to a recording studio, you people don't want to leave. They're like, right, I've got it now. This is what people go spend years doing degrees for and all this stuff. And I was learning on the job mm -hmm. every day, every day. And then the owner's like, Dan, you're ready. Like, just, yeah, you, you're, you're taking that session on and whatever. And then, or you'll be assisting this huge, huge um, band. What does assistant producer involve? Okay, so really, it's like you're mainly an assistant engineer first, but it's a little bit like, think of it like in a kind of military way, you've got like Lance Corporal, Corporal, you know, and you kind of work your way up. It's the exact same in a studio, really, even if whatever your credentials are, whatever you've done, if you come into a studio new, you're kind of bottom of the run. So when you start out, you're probably just shadowing. So what that means is you shadow the assistant and you see what he's doing. So when the engineer goes, right, I'm, I'm going to need this affects unit patched in to the patch bay. I'm gonna need two more XLRs, can you get me the mics, all that stuff. The engineer technically doesn't have to leave his seat. He can tell the assistant what to do. Now the person who's shadowing will see what the assistant's doing so he just doesn't, he doesn't know exactly where everything is. Mm -hmm. 
So then you work your way up to assistant engineer. Assistant engineer is when you will get everything that the engineer requires for the session or the producer. You're the engineer's hands. Exactly, yeah. So in a way, actually already assistant engineer, you have to pretty much know almost as much as the engineer, um, but you're just, yeah, you're just kind of like working for them in a way. Then once you've done that for a good, well, you, you know, for either a couple of years or a good few months, you start to get a feel for like, right, what's happening, this session's gone wrong, or that, that engineer's made a mistake, you're learning off their mistakes and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that wasn't me in the seat. So is that, is, is that when you started going, he wants me to do this, but if I was in his position, I would have chosen to do it a different way, and you can start putting your own creativity yeah. well, into, well, into, the, into, e what, into e the roles. Exactly, right, so, but the interesting thing about my route was most engineers come from having this three-year life sound engineering, like, I kind of knew programs on my laptop and stuff. Even then? Well, no, see, this is it. So I didn't have all that, so I was just like a sponge, just like, what to use in that for? I was like, dropped in the deep end, there is nothing but to do but just to absolutely like swim your ass back to the shore, you yeah, know, yeah. to get to safe waters. So you want to get back to the shore as quickly as possible so you feel like kind of safe. So when you're dropped in the studio environment and you're getting paid for it and there's this massive session, if someone doesn't line up the tape or if someone, you know, forgets to press the record button or something <laughs> and the artist only has an hour to cut those vocals because they're on tour with Alicia yeah, yeah, Keys yeah. or whoever, you got to make sure you're on it, right? So as the assistant, you're already in your mind pretending you're the engineer going okay so they just want that what would I do okay I'll do that oh he's just done that okay cool mm -hmm. that's what I would do and you're literally trying to emulate what you would do and then the engineer will come out with something and it's usually from problem solving um, something's gone wrong and you're like crap what would I do like it's just being like hung upside down and you've got a whole team of like people from the labels your A&R mm -hmm. you know it's a real big pressure so you think right if I was in the engineer am I ready would I be able to solve that problem and the engineer says oh, you know what, this affects you, it just needs a bash, bash it, it covers <laughs> it. After everything you could have done, you know, you wouldn't have necessarily thought of that. Yeah. So it's a constant, constant um, learning process. So in those situations, you know, you're in a studio, you're either the engineer or the assistant engineer, who else is predominantly in those sessions with you? Is it just sometimes you've only got one person, the vocalist that you're working with, mm. and sometimes you've got full band plus eight different people from the label and all that sort of yeah. stuff. I mean, how, how does it work? Okay, so in my experience, um, the studio I was working at was quite high-end. Had a, Most, most um, sessions were from major labels or, you know, big indies. Mm -hmm. So you would generally have the A&R there. Um, some Every session? But no, see, this right. is it. so you have it usually for if the sessions last say five days and you've got to record like an EP of vocals or something, mm -hmm. the A and R would come down in between bits, like because obviously they don't have the time, but they usually maybe on the first day, the last day to check everything or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, if it's a if it's a label session, you'd have the artist, the engineer, the producer. If the engineer and the producer aren't the same, mm -hmm. uh, so the beat maker. Um, and then he's able there, you know, to change any stems if they want to change the pitch, anything like that. Um, the producer can do that. Uh, and then you've got the assistant. So I'd say about three, four people in the room. Mm -hmm. If it's an artist, if it's a band, obviously the whole thing. What's the most that you've had in, in one session? Uh, What's I, the most people that you've had to deal with that you've I, had to manage I in one session? I think... Uh, Taking Back Sunday <laughs> or Flowrider's team I think that was the biggest I was say, there's something about Flowrider that I would expect yeah. there being a crew <laughs> do you know like honestly like he's super nice guy and stuff like but I think Americans do it very differently to how we do it right. I think British artists on the whole even as bands they don't bring all their mates do you know mm. what I mean it's a bit more Americans like there's a lot of people in the studio kind of nodding their head but like also this, that, like, that's a genre thing as well in that kind of culture, he's constantly making decisions like, should I say this? This is my, these are my bars. Should I tweak this? And you've kind of got all your mates who are really involved in that scene, not technically, but but as a as a fan, as a you know, growing up on that music. There's a lot of people to rebound on. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're in a band, Taking Back Sunday, you can, you know, really have the drum or the guitar. Say, oh, I don't like that. I don't know. That. So actually, it's kind of the same thing. It's just that that person is employed as yeah, the yeah. guitarist. The, you know, they are part of the band. But then taking back Sunday, you know, and a lot of these American bands, they have a lot of techs. 
Right. So some of them had like you know two guitar techs here working the strings while they're recording. You've got everyone you're sorting headphone rigs, you know monitors. Like yeah. it's a hell of a lot of people, and you feel like you you're kind of in a stu- in a studio with like an orchestra. Like it's just long yeah. as the amount of chairs you know <laughs> around. But saying that, the more professional that you get, people kind of know their place. So it's the same as in the studio. It, well-oiled machine yeah so level. when you start a studio like there's a lot of kind of secret kind of hidden rules right but like one of them would be if you're if you're shadowing you don't talk to like the engineer you don't you don't the assistant doesn't talk to the engineer unless they either they have to or the engineer talks to them there's when, a hardcore hierarchy it's yeah. very military well, it is very, very military yeah but actually it keeps order in the studio which is absolutely crucial not just for right. creativity but for you know for, for overall um, you discipline wanna, you don't want to waste time yeah 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 Every, you know time is money I guess but, and if you're faffing about yeah, yeah, for 20 minutes because people don't know what they're doing or they're arguing over something, yeah. then not, you're not going to get so, it done. So let me give you like, so a scenario like, which is often, you, you, you know, in this industry, like, you are way closer connected to than anyone in the industry than you think. You're pretty much one degree separation of mm-hmm. anyone who has worked with or knows Michael Jackson. You, know, <laughs> like, you, you, you think it's, oh, my God, these people are so far, but you're actually like, oh, the person that you're in with is Paul McCartney's... PA's daughter, do you know, or someone, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it's, you're never far away from someone who knows something, so, someone who will come in and just started shadowing at a studio, who'd been in a studio, someone who'd be like, chatting about Justin Bieber or something, right, and they'd be, oh, I hate Justin Bieber, nobody told him to say that, no, he shouldn't have actually said, you know, said anything, we realised we're in with the guy who's at his label signed Justin Bieber and he just he has no idea who he's in the studio with and who you know right. and you know that's incredibly offensive so that person mm. some young dude who's at the studio have just said that and now he's just created like this kind of awkward vibe yeah. for, for someone who's literally just effectively shadowing and and, and it doesn't help the name of the studio either. Exactly. There's sort of all these yeah, ripple effects right. that happen. Yeah. So the shadow edges of the assistant, you know, all these people that are in the studio, just by saying one little thing can ruin also an artist's mood. Like, for instance, if the artists, a lot of artists are, say, vegetarians. Mm-hmm. Now, what I could get on a real artist go, they've just had no sleep on at all. They've come in, they come and someone makes a silly remark going, oh, I hate vegetarians, <laughs> you know, or like, oh, yeah. man, like all these people. You know, and then that will get to them, and the whole whole of this industry that from my experience is a people's game mm-hmm. like the, the technical you, anyone can pretty much learn some yeah. people are quick, quicker than others but at the end of the day my job throughout this whole sort of being in the industry is actually creating good vibes positive vibes mm-hmm. and getting stuff done um, as sort of slickly as possible and by knowing your place and yeah. knowing like when to say things when not to say things uh, I think has not just been valuable through the music industry, but through pretty much anything outside of music as well, because you don't overstep your mark. It comes to you working in the studio, have you got a, a specific style, process, how you go about doing things that you've developed over over the last what decade? Yeah. Now I guess. Um, I actually mainly work with just artists rather than bands. Right. Say some people I know, um, friends, engineers, producers, they love working with bands. Mm-hmm. For me, I find my. You've obviously done that. You've, yeah. You know, you've been in sessions with the Taking Back Sundays yeah. of the world and all that sort of stuff. You've specifically gone right. I know what I'm good at. Yeah. And I'm going to go down this road. Is it linked with what you like? Yeah. Personally, or have you just gone? No, I've got I've got a feel for this type of music, and that's yeah. where I'm going to focus myself. Do you know I've always been into so many different types of music that actually I've kind of got like an ADHD brain for music. Right. So I couldn't work on one genre for the rest of my life. Like, okay. or I do have a lot of friends, you know, who just listen to hip hop, just listen to drum and bass, or just listen to you know mm-hmm. uh, whatever that genre is. Um, but I actually love being very, very intimate and creative with that artist and getting in their zone, getting in their space. Okay, so it's less about the genre or the style, more about the person. Yeah, and because you're, I mean, looking at your the list of credits, yeah. it's pretty eclectic. Yeah, you've got grime on there, you've got pretty, you know, out and out mainstream pop on there, mm. you've got reggae, you've got classical music, singer yeah. songwriters. Yeah, you've kind of got a little bit of everything. 
Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to be a chameleon. You kind of like, when I go to the hip hop sessions, I mean, to the things that you say, the stuff that you wear is kind of important as the same as if you're having a session with Desiree. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a very different, mm-hmm. you know, vibe. But actually, I've always felt like I've been that person, like, I always wanted to be more balanced and well-rounded rather than, like, too purist in one kind of okay. genre. Because I love so much bass-heavy music, but I love so much, like, kind of film, soundtrack music, classical music. Um, I got such an appreciation for, you know, for jazz and blues. And that. But the music that I tend to make and be in the studio with is kind of taking a lot of these different things and trying to create something new. I love pushing boundaries. So mm-hmm. a lot of the artists that I work with are willing to be on that journey or to um, have a sound such as obviously uh, recently just finishing the whole Big Nasty album. Mm-hmm. Big Nasty didn't stick completely to grime. That was a choice his label and um, he made. But we went on Joe different things. You've got ragga kind of beats on there. You've got grime. You've got more mainstream stuff. Do you class yourself as a engineer or as a producer? I definitely say producer more than engineer, and the reason is is because one, I'm not qualified as an engineer. Um, <laughs> um, two, because if someone if someone was to say what you got, what do you prefer to do for the rest of your life? Do live sound engineering, or would you prefer to make beats? I'd always prefer to make beats. Right. It's just because creating for me is better than knob tweaking. Right. That's fine. Um, so when someone says, I've probably done more years of engineering, mm-hmm. but I've always learned the engineering side to be the producer. Because when I see people and I see these mistakes or see, you know, I'll play them an idea and they're like, oh my God, that's, that's exactly what we're after. But when you're in the engineer seat, actually they don't really, they're like, oh, he's the, he's the engineer. Um, it sounds like, from what you're saying, from the way that you've worked with all the artists, especially recently, mm. it comes across as you're in that producer seat. Yeah. You might not necessarily, in future, be the person sat at the desk, mm. but you're going, no, you know what? I think we should have a play around with this. Yeah. Let's, let's create something a little bit different. Let's muck around yeah. with the sound, rather than, yeah, I'm just going to press the buttons yeah. and make it sound good. I'm going to yeah. kind of get involved. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a couple of, a couple of, there's been quite a few times in, in the past when I've been in the engineer seat, and I've noticed the label will be down or something, and as an engineer generally, you just shut up, especially <laughs> okay. if like the producers in the room or the label, like you don't want to start getting involved because actually you're there to do a different job, yeah. and they'll be like, we're not sure this chorus isn't working, something isn't right, and you're there and you're just like, I know exactly what needs to be done on, you know, on this chorus. But then the session will wrap up and we say, okay, cool, we're going to attack it again tomorrow or something, or the label's not, you know, they're not happy with the chorus. Then I'll go out and do my tweaks, like just in my own time. The session will be done and we're finishing at like two in the morning or whatever. I'll stay there till four in the morning. Do you ask to do that? No, this is, this is the thing, <laughs> all right? So this is where you've Turning kind of got... a bit of a line. Yeah, but yeah. you've got to have a little bit of hustle about you because okay. otherwise you would never get off that engineering seat if you want to be a producer. Do you know what I mean? So Do you reckon if you did ask, it's like, do I, if I have a go on that? Yeah, say no, no. Exactly. Right. Exactly, okay. right. So if you have a great idea, so I'll be like, okay, I reckon this is how it should be arranged. And look at this chorus now. Put the bit that echoes on there, double it up, and then chop this up. And then I'd send it to the label and then be like, oh, here's version two, just throwing this into the mix in case. Yeah. They come back, email, you get it dropped in your morning. Oh my God, this is it, exactly. Who did this? This is the thing or whatever. Has that ever backfired on you? So far, it actually hasn't, but there's been a couple of times when we're like... Touch wood. Yeah, they're like, oh, okay, no, we love this idea. Do you mind, we're going to give this to the producer now and do it, because obviously you don't want to step on the guy producer. Yeah, yeah. But actually, I, I've always been fine with that, because it's like kudos. So what happens is, is they remember that, and they're like, oh, no, can we get Dan in, because Dan's got good ideas as well as recording the session. Okay. So you build yourself like a little forte, because I, I was never worried about, oh, am I going to get my royalties for that idea, or am I going to do... I was just like, no, let's work for the best song possible. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is, is that you earn the respect of like the labels or you know the publishers, and then they're like, oh, no, next time when we have a session, can we get Dan? Because we used to have this other guy, but... Now we've actually built up not just a better relationship, but we get, seem to get more ideas out of the session. So, mm-hmm. so then they'll be like, say to that studio, they'll be like, oh, can we get Dan back? Can we get Dan? And they're like, yeah, but you sure? This guy's got like 20 years more experience. Like, you sure you can mm-hmm. have Dan? But, and then they were like, no, no, we want Dan. And then that's how I think I really got into, like, you know, the grime scene, the, a lot of the stuff that where you can chop stuff, like, really easily. It's not like, say, with band stuff. 
is a lot of it is the songwriting. You know, you've got the guitarist. You know, this. well, it's not beats, is it? It's yeah, exactly. Not, hang on, there's there's bars of it. Well, again, you, it, it, yeah. it's trickier to say because it is musically wise. But yeah, there's there's more elements to have to yeah. fuck around with, basically. Whereas, yeah. to be honest, like a lot of like modern, to me, a lot of like heavy bass music and that you kind of like based around the beat mm-hmm. so you can do a lot of chopping and take someone's acapella and do comp- two completely different tracks yeah, yeah, in yeah. one day super easy without even you haven't even tread on any toes or anything you're like right cool let's do a mainstream version let's do like a bass hip hop version or whatever you want mm-hmm. um, send it to the label or send it to the manager or the artist and then tomorrow decide and in that way they haven't spent money on flying someone in or bringing someone to the session to be like yeah. right I want to do two versions you've given it to them for free um, and in that way, you've built that relationship. They're like, damn, we love this. We're actually going to go with this version. And then you you haven't worried about the money. Like I said, you haven't worried about the royalty side of things. You've just done it for the love of it and for <laughs> you know the greater good of what you're trying to achieve. And then that will come back to you. So yeah, that's yeah. basically like 10 years of doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's like finally paying off. Good to find out, you know, what does a day in the studio with Dan Vinci right. look like? <laughs> lots of Haribo sweets, <laughs> uh, uh, kind of good vibes, I guess. Um, lots of colours, like, I have loads of mood lighting. So in my studio, at the Dan Dada studio, is a lot of time where I spend most of my time uh, recording. And that actually, going back to the very focused question that you had about like working your way up, because I never had those credentials that we talked about like the, the all the big sound engineers have no masters no no big bachelor degree and was I used to bring always sweets with me to the studio and not for me but actually for the artists and I was like well look if I can get them in an amazing mood from the beginning then if I do make any mistake I'm slightly slower than the other person at least they're in a good vibe it was <laughs> literally up on sugar. exactly right so I used to I remember and for a good like for, even for the like, first year of like sessions the very first thing I would like make sure they'd have their teas their coffees whatever they want but then they'd come to the studio and there was like a whole bunch of like sweet popcorn bags all this stuff they came in they're like oh my god what's this like amazing and they're like straight tucking and they're already lifted mm-hmm. and actually 50% of your job I'd say you know it's a technical thing but actually the massive portion 50% if not more a lot of the time is actually just getting the artist in the best possible zone for them to record Mm -hmm. and you're in the studio for vibes you're not in you're not in uh, you're in a very creative environment yeah yeah, yeah. and and, you know you're not in an accountancy firm here it's not like you know smart desk and everyone you know you're in change you're comfortable like the artist comfortable but you know these certain things of lifting is the difference between having that killer chorus and can be different to being like oh, okay I'm not very, I'm not feeling very inspired how long do sessions last for uh, you? well always you don't want it I mean I'm ve- I'm guessing it's not clock in at nine and clock out at five no no the good thing is you can kind of like lie in initially but I tell you <laughs> like the first few years was every single day and I'm not even kidding like Saturday Sunday like when I say my mate, mates didn't see me I didn't know like, I just didn't see the light of day for years and they were Apart twelve the hour sessions. Football match. Oh, oh right, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I always try to try to make some time for you know. I love sport. That's the yeah. thing. But this industry is so yeah. bad. People who love sport. But no, so they were always block bookings of twelve hours. So okay. it'd usually be like twelve till twelve, one till one, two till two, or very occasionally it'd be ten p.m. start. But but that's not twelve hours of solid getting the artist to do stuff or is that kind of they're blocking your time out so yeah, that's you your time. recording and then you making the edits doing the tweaks producing yeah. but there's one really strange thing about studio environment is time does not go in the same as a normal work office hour right. so I would say 12 hours feels like 6 hours because when you're recording that you're on like hyper time so you could be doing takes and takes and you're like oh my gosh like two and a half hours has gone it's like we've only been doing this for like 20 minutes right um, there's this like very very warped sense of um, sense of time in the studio so 12 hours sounds like a huge mm-hmm. amount of time but actually to do all these vocals you've got to do all the harmonies you've got to do like pitch correction you've got to be melodining you've got to be chopping you've got to be swapping stuff around by the time you've actually done a lot of this stuff you're, you're, you're already thinking oh, what do we eat that takes time then we yeah, need yeah, time yeah. out for ourselves like 12 hours to get everything done by the end of it like you're done like, everyone's like yeah knackered but I must have done 5,000 hours of overtime in, in, in a year of just 
stuff being booked from 12 to 12 but you're there till 5 in the morning right um, so it pays to be a night owl I'm guessing oh yeah I'm a massive night owl and this is the trouble because it's not good for your circadian rhythm it's not good you know <laughs> you, you get bags very quickly and you're under artificial lighting and all this stuff but and match that with all the Haribo that you play oh exactly yeah you're wired yeah <laughs> this is, you know Honestly, like, you don't ever feel like you need to go out. Like, that's the weird thing about studio. You, it's a very sociable thing mm-hmm. in the fact that... And it's a very intimate thing. And it's quite intense because you are in, literally, a lot of the time, quite a small room with an artist, not just making the beat, but you get to know them. They ask stuff about your past, your history, you know. you know, There are so many things about life that mm-hmm. you kind of... And, and I'd say I know a lot of artists that I work with, I know them, they're kind of their families, you know better than I've known mates who I've known for 15, 20 years. Right. Just because of the time that you do spend, you really, really get to know someone in a very, um, I wouldn't say just intimate way, but a very deep kind of, I'd say like almost like spiritual way. Because okay. you see them when they come to shoot and they're down and they feel like they've just gone through a breakup and you're now trying to cut their vocals onto this record and or their parents have just divorced. Or, you know, and a lot of times when you you know you go through life and you see people you know on the tube or like you're at work or is in an office environment you don't really kind of go into that much detail you might see them during lunchtime or something Mm -hmm. but unless they're really your best mate they don't reveal those things Mm -hmm. to you but actually in a studio a lot comes pouring out and actually we're in a great industry for that to happen because what I would always try and do is draw however you're feeling in that day into the record and every time that's happened or every time an artist has done that there's something special about that recording right. that when we come back a week later yeah, and they're not yeah. feeling that anymore we're like the vocals just don't sound the same mm-hmm. so actually my job then would be like okay you know what we've got two tracks to make this one's a bit sadder and this one's a bit happier but what vibe are they into today because we were supposed to do the happier track today but they're not in the mood we're going to swap it around and then we would tell the label right. or I'd send them a little email and go just a heads mm-hmm. up we do it we're swapping it around and they'll be like oh why why you know why and we're just like no this is the vibe and they'll trust you because you're in that environment um, and you can really really tell people's you know kind of auras feelings and stuff and you just get a hunch and you're like you know what this is not a really happy kind of like day or vice versa mm-hmm. coming in buzzing they've just finished playing Brixton Academy or whatever and then you're booked to have a session with them till eight in the morning and you're like, nah, we can't do this track, we've got to do this track and everyone's on a vibe and you just go with it. Big Nasty, and we've talked about a few of the artists that you've worked with, the the eclectic mix. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. how do those? How do those? How do these sessions come about? So big nasty. Actually, I had been to so many meetings with sort of different labels and um, and people at the time going, "Oh my gosh, you're from Brixton. He's from Brixton. You guys should work together." All this, and I was hearing it, and I was like, "Oh, we haven't crossed paths yet." And he'd actually known people that I grew up with in the estate, you know, nearby, and I played football with and stuff. And he was from the area, and actually, like Brixton's quite small in that. Like, if you, if people are actually from from Brixton, mm-hmm. actually, would kind of like know kind of all each other or knew the local gangs. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and kind of it's a it's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of like an area thing. So I'd known about being nice for quite a long time, and then um, and all these people were saying, yeah, you know, we should work together. And I was like, no, it's, it's, we haven't crossed paths yet in a, in a musical way. And then. Funnily enough, there was an artist that I had worked with whose manager I didn't realise was associated to Big Nasty. I had no idea. Um, his name was Jay. And he he rang me up one day and he said, because uh, we worked together before with um, Clement. He was looking after Clement Martha at the time. And he loved the stuff I did with Clement. And then he, um, he was like, Dan, Dan, I've got this artist, Camilla, she's amazing, whatever. Like... Honestly, and I just need to get you in the shoes to go. I know you're going to vibe and all this. And, and like, is that how it happened? Yeah. Is yeah. that it's just like someone that you know rings you up and goes, yeah. you're perfect for this, come in. Yeah. You're not pitching for it. You know, you haven't got a manager or anything like that. No, going no, no. Around I actually, going, you know I, who, yeah. who would be perfect for this? My client. And yeah. That sort of stuff. I know a lot of people, well, a lot of producers will do like a 100 808 beats and then just like, just put them on SoundCloud and I, I never do that right. um, because I always make the beats custom for that artist because I really try and get her own I'll make beats in my own spare time mm-hmm. but they're just like usually like a starting point or for my own project or something but actually for the artist I want to 
hear what their lane is or you know I want to get what their vision they said oh Dan I've been making music like this but I actually want to go this way mm -hmm. and if I had already come with just like beats going oh you know well I've got this that means I'm like saying how I think you know it should be but I want to take their influence anyway so I had kind of taken her influence of what she wanted and she didn't come to the studio but he said can I send you the acapella because we don't know we, we love the acapella we don't mm -hmm. know what to do anyways I said alright Jay I'm going to do this for you I'll, I'll, I'll do it I spent an evening on it sent it back and he was like Dan this was exactly what she had in mind Camilla <laughs> loves it and she wants to personally meet you she wants to come to the studio like she, she's just so happy and I was, so I was like oh it's great news like at that time I was just everything was rammed like it was, so much was happening but I said okay cool let, you know we'll have a session if she likes that you know he says can we, we want to do another track like honestly like can we do this and I was like okay okay we'll let's do something and then what he had done, he had gone back to his team, who he's also part of, like, Dice Recordings, who's Big Nasty's label, who I actually didn't know was associated with at all. Um, and he spoke to the managers, Big Nasty managers, like, you should get Dan, Dan in with Big. Mm -hmm. um, so then, as this happened, I was playing a Dan Nedda festival. Um, it, was like a, it was like a private hydroponics festival. And, big, and we were supporting Big Nasty. And okay. and it was mad because I was Serendipity. like, oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. So as Big Nasty's, um, he's there, whatever. His managers turn up, and I hadn't met his managers before that, Kevin and Nathan. And Jay was there, and Jay was like, dude. And I didn't think he was going to be there. Um, so I saw him, he was like, dude. And he was saying to the manager, this is the guy I've been talking to you about. This is, you know. And then he and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, you're Dan, you're Dan. Um, let's have a meeting, let's have a meeting. And I was like, yeah, cool, anytime, right? But this was like quite crazy, it's that festival, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I played, yeah, the Dan Dada set, we had dancers, it was a mad, I mean, it was just a wicked, wicked festival. And then Big Nasty did his thing, it was good fun. And then for some reason at this festival, the engineer just went AWOL during Big Nasty's set. And there were levels just going over the place, he wasn't clear. Every, we're like, where is the engine? So I quickly jumped on the on the live desk and I quickly sorted out his vocal and I mean, his managers were just like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, it was, the things were clipping. We didn't know something had happened. The engineer just wasn't there um, mm -hmm. at the tent. So I'd done them a favor, an extra favor again, like just putting it out there, just trying to do the best job possible. Don't worry, you know, I, you know, didn't go there and go, oh, well, it's not my job. You yeah, know what I mean? Just get stuck in. And then after doing that, we had a really good chat. They were like, oh, thanks so much, whatever. What are you doing on Monday? And this was like, what, this Monday? And it was like the weekend, right? And, and they were like, yeah, we want to have a meeting. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool, come in. So this all, it was like stars just sort of just aligned just at this moment. So Jay had recommended this thing happen, being nasty. Mm -hmm. um, they knew I was Brixton, all that stuff. So they came down to the studio. Um, and there was three of them there. There was Jay, there was the two managers, um, and myself. And... I thought, okay, maybe they want me to pitch some stuff for Big Nasty or whatever. I had no idea what the campaign was at the minute for Big Nasty, like what they were doing, whether they were doing an EP, mixtape, whatever. And they were like, we want to hear some of your stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I had some stuff that I, you know, just had on the hard drive. I played it and they're just faces kind of like lit up and we were like, this is like the sound that we want for Big Nasty. But we want, we, we've been looking for someone who could not just like engineer all the records because they've already had loads of beats from different kind of you know beat makers and producers like all mm -hmm. around but they wanted someone who could add things to the track so do additional production to stuff that's been made to record it to mix it to do it all in one basically do everything yeah kind of do everything but also I was very very organised with all my sessions and everything so I was also you also have to kind of like project manage in a way mm -hmm. you've got like we had 40 beats 40 tracks that all needed to be mixed um and they said, we'd love you to be that guy to take to sort the whole album out. And I thought I was just in there meeting, like, oh, maybe I could have one track, maybe it would be nice to do it. You've been given an entire project. Yeah, and they said they would like to do the whole album. And honestly, they, they, none of those people in the room knew how much I had a degree or how much I maybe knew technically. They just, we just vibed really well and mm -hmm. they knew that I'd worked with other artists and they could see you know my setup and stuff and they were just like can we bring the whole album and I was like are you sure don't you want me to like do something one track for you first and they were like no we want to bring the whole album so actually the Big Nasty thing came about even though we're like kind of from the area and we had like known a lot of kind of mutual people that happened one by chance but by two me just helping helping them out doing another good job on someone else's record mm -hmm. and the kudos just came right back right um, so would you, would you say that that's fairly 
standard across the board? Because, like, for instance, let's go to the polar opposite end of the of the musical spectrum. The work yeah. that you've done recently with Laura Wright. Hey, Laura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So in completely. That, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought like completely different area of the business. Yeah. She's a soprano. Yeah. It, is that the same? Is that just you randomly met someone that knew someone who knows someone, or is that more traditional? Or do you know her, or what? No, do you know what? I actually, no, I didn't know her at all. Um, but now, I mean, she rang me the other day. Actually, we've got another project <laughs> that we got. But no, that happened by my friend Danny at Decca, yeah. um, Decca Records, part of Universal, who she signed to rang me up and he knows that I think I think on my website I'd done like I love fusing classical with beats and basically like and that not many people know but in about a year or two I'm going to be finishing an album that is just purely like kind of classical modern film soundtrack music um, but not many people know that but Danny would heard some stuff he'd been around the studio before and he had <laughs> heard stuff of mine and Laura at that time had a brief I think she wanted modern classical that people could play in the gym and like so like kind of bass infused classical and Danny was like I think I've got just the guy but that's that project has come about in a for want of a better word much more traditional fashion that's you know the music industry is a relationship business however you may know Danny and he's been on this yeah uh, um, the He's an A&R person at a record label. He's yeah. got his own contacts. He knows people in all the various places, and he thought you would be the right person. Yeah. So that's the more traditional route. Yeah, but I'd say I rarely get anything totally cold call. So Danny, I'd already known. Are you ever with pitching? Are you ever going, I want to work with this person so much that I'm going to go and get them? Do you know what? I probably am the only person I don't think I've actually approached an artist manager saying... Can can I, I really want to work with okay. this size? It's always been what has the universe kind of just like brought and it, and and you know what? It's really bizarre because I I can't stress how crazy like every day is. I haven't really had the time to have that much uh, focus and thought to be like right. I'm gonna make twelve Rihanna tracks and hopefully one of them they're gonna like. Because have, have you got a manager? Have you got anything? I like had that? two managers, right. but um. Now I actually manage myself because right. one, it's a lot quicker. I can, I Don't can. Have to pay anybody commission? Well, no, I actually didn't mind that because it, if the pie is distributed, but if it's a bigger pie, then you yeah, know you're yeah. actually not making less money. But what I actually found is the personal touch meant so much. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and I liked dealing with that label myself or the artist manager because actually, I really love getting to know about that person's vibe and, and and what managers will a lot of time come and do and talk about angles, talk about what's the publishing on this, what's the fee, okay, this is Dan's fee. Um, and I don't like that approach. Okay. Um, and I actually would come over, how can I help this artist or do I feel like I can either relate to this artist or can I bring something to this artist's sound? Am I inspired? Because at the end of the day, no matter how big the artist is, if I don't feel like I really dig that kind of sound or music or if I can bring something. I don't want to be stuck in the studio with them endlessly and been thinking, oh, I'm not really into this. Yeah, yeah. And luckily I haven't you know, been doing that. All the projects and artists that I work with, I absolutely love, Like, or there's something really interesting that I love about it. So all the emails that come through me usually come through me direct um, and it will take me a little longer to reply, but I do reply to mm-hmm. all of them. Um, and if something usually happens where an artist would uh, email or the manager or the label and say, damn, we've got this artist, they're coming to London on this weekend or this week, can you do it? Um, Or we'd love you to go in the studio with them. And actually, with a bit of, you know, you've got Google Calendar, all this stuff, it's really easy to Mm -hmm. manage yourself now. And when it comes to publishing, you've got a music lawyer or something like, so if they want to talk about publishing, they want to get a contract signed, cool, get them to look at it. And almost like your music lawyer is a bit like your manager because they just sort the back end out, you know, just to make sure that what they're offering is mm-hmm. fair and and I'm sort of like the easiest going when it comes to paperwork stuff I'm, I'm like, like yeah, 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 well. yeah I'm, I'm like cool <laughs> like as long as we make you know cool stuff but um, yeah I had two managers it was cool but at that time in life I think you know one of them was having a kid uh, one of them already had a kid life. Um, and they were going to move out of London and all these things happened and what was happening is none of the artists stopped communicating with me because they were communicating with managers right. and then it separates you 
um, to the point where I was like, okay, what's happened to that artist? And they were like, oh, well, they didn't have enough money, you know, for that thing, or the angle, you know, wasn't quite right. They didn't have a campaign right now and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, oh, but that's cool, but I wanted to get on with them anyway because actually I've got some stuff with it. And what it is, you're just sort of relaying with the managers more than mm-hmm. actually you could have just sent them a direct email. Yeah. So for me personally, even though it's a bit more work, I like the personal touch, you know, whether it's an unsigned artist or it's a label, speak to the A&R, really get a feel from them. You can speak to them on the phone. When it's managers, it's like, for me, like the pyramid's upside down. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah like, definitely. Yeah. Mentioned the Dandada project yeah. that you've that you've had Dandada Dandada you start drumming when you were yeah. nine yeah. so you you are a drummer by trade yeah. um, what are your influences who are you as an artist and talk about you know what, what is this project yeah because it's it's everything. Right, it's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I thought it best to come from you. Wow, okay, so this is a massive question because I feel like it has taken my whole life and influences of not just music, but like culture, the place I've grown up in, my friends, um, my family, who's like kind of around the world, every, the kind of injustices I see, everything, I've kind of put that all into the Dan Dada project. So for anyone who doesn't know about like the Dan Dada, it's or everything to do with me releasing my own music with my own kind of like crew of people, artists that I know, artists that I've worked with, but the sound is very unifying, bass heavy, culture clash, it's like a festival act, the live show's mental. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically like a party and promotion of like whatever culture background you're from or whatever kind of hardship you've had or whatever, you've got a place at the Dan Dada like kind of show in our vibe. Would you call it a band? No, it's definitely not a band. Right. Um, It's more like a sound system. In the broadest sense of the word. Yeah. Is it, you know, I I hate... Is it a club night? Is it an event? Is it an artist? Is it Well, this is it. So (laughs) so the Dan Dada actually is a nickname. I've worked with loads and loads of uh, Jamaican reggae artists and... Mm -hmm. That's a whole, you know, other uh, interview just just on that. But I've been really lucky to work with like reggae royalty, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of say real reggae fans of mine. They're like, "How have you been in the studio with Horace Andy, John Holt, you know, L Sixteen, Ragga Twins, you know all this?" So I've kind of like said, "Right, I actually love that sound and love how like my ears love bass. Right, I'm a proper bass junkie. So what I've done is I've said, okay." I put the unifying message of reggae mm-hmm. as as the main like sort of vocals for the Dan Dada project, but then I've put a bit of guitars in there, lots of percussion, kind of like hip hop star kind of production, but with trap stuff, like all the stuff that I love, and put it in one project. Mm-hmm. And when I worked with these um, reggae artists, they had a nickname for me, and because my surname was Vinci, and in Patois, Jamaican Patois, uh, there's a saying Don Dada and D-O-N uh, Don Dada and, and they used to laugh because like Vinci like Godfather they're like for them it's the Don Dada right. so, uh, so they're like oh I'm in with Dan Dan Dada like, and they used yeah, to change yeah. the word and that kind of nickname just stuck so I was like that's kind of like the perfect kind of like name for this whole project because this whole project isn't actually about me it's me driving the whole thing right. uh, I'm producing it engineering it all that and I'm actually you know managing it and stuff but um, I wanted something that's bigger than just one person. It's it's a whole movement in the fact that if that person can come play at our show, he's playing percussion, those dancers are playing, those artists are free, they're going to come on. It's like a sound system, but really when you're going to hear the album, imagine like Fatboy Slim bringing all of these kind of like people and these samples and all these things together. Mm-hmm. Fatboy Slim, but Fatboy Slim's also Norman Cook. Yeah. So it's a bit like that. So so Dan Vichy thinks some is kind of slightly different music. It's for... I'm catering for the artist. Yeah, yeah. Now, the Dandala is like my absolute labour of love, where it's, one, a big, crazy live show of bringing people together, unifying people, and then the album is, you're not cornered by being a band. There's not kind of the same artist on every track. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of features. That's the style that if I wanted to hear new music, that's, um, that's what I'm making, basically. And are you doing the whole thing yeah. yourself? Exactly, yeah. you're putting it out yourself, you're not... You're... Well, so hopefully when we come to the album, I mean, we've got a PR team now on it. Um, they're promoting the upcoming radio singles because a lot of people don't know this, but 
what you hear of the Dan of the Now were just like the starting tracks to get a feel for the vibe. We're putting it out there. They weren't like really radio singles. They're just kind of like almost like demos that we put on YouTube, put on Spotify. Mm -hmm. We're having fun with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need something out there. And then now when you hear the album coming out, we've got radio singles. We've got it's a lot more. It's going to be a lot of stronger campaign. Now at the minute, whilst tying up the album. I don't have a label on board, nothing. I wanted to finish it in its entirety so that I could license it. Okay. And then that way I'd be like, do you not have someone at A&R over your shoulder being like, oh, we want to make it really pop because I've been in a couple of meetings with that with some majors and they're like, we love this project. Can we get like, we want a really like pop chorus on this. And I was like, well, like, no. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and, and there will be, there are there are a lot of catchy bits on the record, mm -hmm. but for me, is way mainstream enough. But I can see their angle, the way that they're coming from. They're like, we want to sell as many volumes, you know, as possible. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, it was more about, um, I can do that with other artists that I work with, but for my own project, it's like, I was so, I'm so in the zone and focus of what I need to do that I didn't want the label dictating what I had to do. So I want to finish the album and then we'll see if we can get it licensed and hopefully get help with promo and yeah, marketing. Yeah, yeah. Then that's the way we do so it. So you're just, at the moment, you're concentrating on making the project, the product, the yeah. best it can possibly be yeah. on your own with all the contributors that you've got. And once it's there and it's a thing and you go, this is good. Now we're ready. Then yeah. we're going to go, right, we're going to go and we're going to find all the, the people to, exactly. to, to yeah. support us and help us and put it out. Like, honestly, like I've been so many times in the studio, and this is only like experience can tell you, but when you see it, so many years of just artists coming in and being like so buzzed at the beginning because they've just got signed, right? Mm -hmm. Then what happens is by the time at the uh, end of the album, so many times, and these are incredibly talented musicians and artists, they come in, and then the label have put in so much their say of like this is how we want to sound the artist has kind of like lost enthusiasm a bit um, because they've either signed too early mm -hmm. or they weren't sure enough of their direction so the label will come in and go oh no we really want to make it pop and then the artist by the time the album's out they're like oh, actually I want to go in this way but the, you know the label's kind of dictated so for me what I wanted to do is have the creative side completely ready yeah. and then the label come in with their big guns and be like right we love what you do, we're going to get on board and they're going to jump on the train and you're all going in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go, one artist wants to go left, the label wants to go right and sometimes they end up getting shelved, you know how it is. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. All of this chaos and I said, no, if this is going to happen, I'm going to have to have everything finished. Mixed, mastered, everything and being like, who wants to come on board? Luckily... Who wants this for what I want? You know, yeah. This is what I want it to be, who wants to come on board yeah. rather than you might want to change it and all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. I mean and, and luckily through a lot of the artists that I've worked with they've had sneak peeks and they've and they listen and they're like Dan oh my when this is ready send this to me and I've got a lot of those people basically my phone is like kind of got like a whole list of people I've got to send it to when it's done but oh, yeah. I know the art of actually holding something back a little longer until uh -huh. it's ready and then it's a bit like you know that um, analogy of if you've got to borrow an arrow the, the harder and longer the kind of you pull it back the further the arrow will fly. Yeah. Whereas if you kind of do it a bit too early, a bit too limp. Well, we're at that point now where it's so easy to put stuff out. Yeah. That actually, and don't get me wrong, I think there are artists and bands out there that they should just put stuff out because you yeah. can. Um, but yeah, there there is an art to not yeah. putting things out. Yeah. Now and as well, and actually kind of going, no, this this needs to be done right rather than just done. Yeah. I, I, honestly, there's something that I always tell so many artists that I work with for seeing uh, mistakes of other artists is. You know, the power of editing, when I mean that, it's like generally through life, editing through what you say to uh -huh. your art, but like the art should be the most respected thing, right? So at the end of the day, if the PR people are like, oh, but we want to put it on this day because for us it suits us because that's when all the kind of blogs kind of pitch out and stuff like this. Uh -huh. But then your chorus isn't finished or the master doesn't sound good. Like you got to base it and have deadlines because that will make you finish, but... I always say, how many artists do you know? If you love an artist and they only have one thing on YouTube with an amazing graphic or an amazing picture or something and you listen to that on repeat, that is so much more powerful than having 12 tracks out there. They're all a bit rough. I don't They're, know. The worst thing, the thing that yeah. I, I say a lot is, yeah, it's fine. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. There's so much. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. It's like, yeah, it's fine. Exactly. So now, pretty much every artist that I produce for, I very often get involved with how they are marketed or their image or something like that. Because for me, especially coming from an art college background, and the two go very hand in hand together, the music and the visual. Mm-hmm. And increasing now on phones, laptops, all that stuff, the visual, a lot of time, they'll look at that first before they've even checked the music out. They're like, yeah, yeah. Do, do I like this? This is this vibe. So I would say to anyone who's an artist out there um, I'd always say is okay why don't you put pretty much your vibe your best thing but only put one thing out there and get a vibe for that don't mm-hmm. put like a whole EP yet or don't do this because you're then committing to like a sound you might then base it you know people are like oh I really love this or this isn't quite working whatever mm-hmm. but have less things but better things rather than more things okay. yeah, yeah. a lot of things that you've got coming up yeah. projects with different artists yeah. your own stuff what's the one thing that's on the to-do list that you still haven't done that's kind of the the white whale in, in, in the future the holy grail of stuff that you really really want to do you just haven't done it yet well um, you know I've never really I'm not losing sleep over not working with any artist Fair enough. I'm a little different in that way a lot of people I know will be like I really want to work with Prince. I really want. I'm like cool if it happens. If you know, a lot of to be honest, a lot of the artists who I'd love to work with aren't here anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, so actually, I'm really cool and I'm really open to what the universe kind of brings in. But I'll end it on something like, which would be a good time capsule right now as we're recording this today <laughs> to see how much people have heard heard of this. But there's a great project I'm working on called Dardelica, which is a high-end fashion designer from LA, he's absolutely incredible uh, fashion designer, he came to me and he wanted to create a whole music album. Now, he's not from a musician background, anything like that. He sends me acapellas, like, from LA, from his phone, right? And Are they any good? They're, well, well, they're varying quality. Well, let's let me just tell that. you, they are alien vocals, okay, yeah? This is crazy, right? But <laughs> this is these are the type of projects that I absolutely love because yeah, yeah. it's just so out of the box and crazy. As in a, what? He's in a language... In an alien language, that he's completely. Made up. No English, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, sometimes he'll have a couple of English words, but it's very, you know, it's rare on him. Anyway, so... This uh, project's called Dardelica. He's called Johnny Dye. He's a fashion designer. We got tonight, and I have to leave in half an hour <laughs> to one of his big fashion shows, Fashion Week this week in Soho. He's booked out four floors of Black's Club, mm-hmm. and every floor is a different piece of his art and fashion. And then down in the basement, we got the sound system, and I'm playing the main set. I'm um, DJing for the project, but so I'm producing his whole album, and it's the most challenging thing ever to date because from voice notes, I have to make an album of alien hypnotic dance music. That for me, I'm not really like a house kind of producer or known as a house producer or anything like that. But it's more like the house vibe. It's also I made it more dubby and weird and alien. But every single vocal is chopped up. There's about 12,500 vocal regions in one track. Wow. It's Every syllable is chopped up, and I'm making an album out of it. So by the time maybe this goes out or something, there'll be more out. Yeah, but yeah. Um, look out for it. It's called Dardelica. And if you just go to johnnydarthink.com, um, you'll you, you hear about more of the project. But he's basically commissioned me to make this whole album out of alien vocals. There is no pitch, rhyme, time, nothing, no BPM, I've had to you know, kind of create everything and chopping it and we've just made this amazing collaborative kind of um, effort that I don't think I've ever known anyone to sort of like make an album like this without even really being in a studio. We've been in a studio a few times together which is great, mm-hmm. um, great vibes and we'll add stuff but really the whole thing has been a, a massive challenge that's different. Um, and then you'll hear, there's a, I'm working on a track with Snoop Dogg at the minute which is amazing. Um, uh, it's a really cool track that's coming out soon a lot there's more Big Nasty stuff uh, so I worked on 40 tracks on the Big Nasty album and it came down to 26 um, it was going to be a double album but the label last minute wanted to put them into two separate mm-hmm. uh, albums so this the first album just came out and the second album actually is going to come out really soon so I worked on every track of that and produced all the um, interludes as well as you'll hear me as the taxi driver on Taxi to Brixton. Nice. <laughs> they needed like a, a white man in the studio to do it and they were like, Dan, come on man, to play the taxi driver. All white mate, all right. So, um, so I play yeah, I play the taxi driver in that album but there's a lot more tracks coming. These were like the ones that the label wanted to go with first. Um, that's going to be coming out. 
we got some really cool stuff coming out as well. We haven't even touched upon the Mad Boy project, which is an old gangster. But hey, man, I'll have to get you back. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to do it a, a part two. There's <laughs> plenty more that we could talk about. There There's is. plenty more. Yeah, you've got to go. Yeah, let's leave it there. Thank you very much, Data. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. thanks to Dan there for this conversation it was a an amazing conversation one of my favorites if you would like to get in touch with myself uh, to recommend any future guests or to ask any questions of me or answer or ask rather any questions of any of the guests then please do send me an email to behind the business pod at gmail.com or alternatively Follow the Instagram at Behind the Business Pod or follow me on Twitter at Danny Champion. Dan Vinci is also on Twitter and there will be links to where you can find him and listen to the the Dan Dada stuff in the show description. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm really appreciative of it. Do let anybody else know that you think might be interested in this podcast. This is very much a labour of love at the moment. So yeah, so for now it's very much about word of mouth and about letting people know uh, that you're enjoying it. So please tell a friend and like, subscribe, review on your podcast app of choice. Thank you very much and I'll speak to you next time.